Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Young Contentals podcast. In this episode, we are talking to John Shanahan of Iron Mediteria. I'm your host, Jake Brown. And I'd like to introduce you to John. Uh, been a good friend of mine for for a short while now. He's an avid collector of um, different per- periods of British military history and, and Irish. So of uh, say World War One, World War Two, um, and the Troubles in Northern Ireland as well. And he's also ex serviceman of the Irish Defence Force as well. So John, take it away. Hello, Jake, and thanks for uh, asking me to do the podcast. So as Jake said, I'm John Shanahan. I have a YouTube channel here at Military Collectibles. I collect First World War, Second World War, Northern Ireland Troubles, Iraq Banner, and Vietnam as well, and other little bits and pieces in between. Um, so yeah, I, I served in the Irish Army for just under 12 years. Uh, not much more I could say that Jake hasn't already said. Fantastic, fantastic. So as I said, uh, I met John a short while ago about several months I think now it's been about a year actually it's been maybe about a year now over a year now it's yeah yeah I think so yeah um through my YouTube channel so and uh he contacted me through there and we got chatting through there um and it's sort of it's grown since then which is awesome and um John's channel's been growing as well and he's with some awesome content in regards to some of the kit he's got which has been fantastic and yeah it's been absolutely awesome uh, and I've been helping him with some World War Two stuff, and he's been gradually getting back into World War One. And obviously, because he he lives in Ireland uh, with current restrictions as well, um, regards to COVID, it's a bit more difficult at the moment. There's no shows on at all really at the moment in Ireland, which is a shame. Um, but hopefully they'll open up again soon. Uh, but I might be able to come over to the UK maybe at one point as well. We might be able to do a show together or an event, which would be awesome. Um, so John, tell us how you uh, got into say collecting and. Uh, and living history, that sort of side of thing? Well, I never really got into collecting, as in the fact that I always had military stuff around the house due to family members. I had um, a family member in the First World War with the Munster Fusiliers. I have family members that fought in the Second World War, and believe it or not, I have family members that fought in Vietnam. 
Um, so military stuff has always been around the house. And I suppose I didn't really start collecting until my teenage years. And then I started off collecting cap badges and berets. Um, and it literally progressed from there. And my main interest, I suppose, or my main interest in Northern Ireland, I suppose, or off banner or Northern Ireland troubles is literally because of growing up in Ireland at the time in the 80s when things were bad, shall we say, in relation to that, and just had an interest in it from there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a difficult period to sort of portray or even sometimes talk about, really, in some um, some aspects, really. But um, it's, it's awesome that um, from your side of things, really, you being from Southern Ireland and uh, serving the Irish Defence Force, you, you're, you're collecting these things because you want to keep the, you want to teach the history and you want to keep it alive, which I think is brilliant. Um, Cause obviously you collect standard, standard infantry staff and regards to Irish Defence Force and the British Army as well. And also the RUC as well, which is very, very cool. And you've also got some other nicer little bits. I think you uh, put the um, police helmets as well, which was kind of interesting. The uh, nice old, I think the, what, the 1920s ones or? I have um, pretty much from the Second World War on. Um, they were they're like a Victorian style helmet, if you get me. Um, I have two of them. I have the older type, the bolder type, and then I have your standard Bobby type helmet that everyone knows about, belong to the RUC, yeah. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a really good bit of history Like people don't really look at as well. In regards to, say, the Troubles, um, there's bits people sort of nitpick and look at, really, but then there's the other side of it, really, especially with like the RUC and those other little bits on a sort of a more grounded level. Um, so it's really good you sort of look into those when you collect those things as well. Um, so as you said, like you've been, you sort of started collecting kind of through because things were about the house, etc., through family. So when you were when you were in the army, um, are you getting little bits here and there? And obviously you had your own kit after the, after you left the army as well. So did you um, how what have you? Well, sort of- when I was in the army, actually. Um, it was mainly headdresses or patches, like everyone else, I suppose, that serves in the in the, the army or the military. You come in contact with other nationalities, other soldiers, and you swap things. And the easiest thing to swap was our headdress or berets um, or a unit patch or something like that. So you, you swap bits and pieces like that. Um, guys would come back from overseas and they'd be like, John collects this, this type of stuff. I don't need it. There you go. But you have something I need. Um, and it was a bit of horse trade, and I suppose really things like that would go on. Um, so yeah, but I, I even when, even when I was in the military, I had a, uh, an interest in collecting bits and pieces. Yeah, and I um, I suppose to be in the military, you you need to have an interest in history because uh, tactics and engagements and stuff like that. It's all military history. Like you 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 learn from the past, um, so it doesn't happen again, pretty much. And so they. If, if an operation went bad, you obviously look back at it and go, okay, how can we improve and stuff? So you're learning from history the whole time. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the same sort of similar thing with my, with my father as well, who obviously British army for 20 years and uh, picked up bits here and there when he, on his sort of travels and where he was deployed, etc. So yeah, roughly sort of the same sort of thing, which I think is brilliant. And it really puts a, really gets you more involved with the whole history side of it and the more, sort of more personal level of these little things, these little objects, etc. which I think is brilliant. Is that always that human well, you, connection? Your, your collection has a story then. If you know 
where you've gotten each little item or whatever you, you you're it, it's it's not just a collection it's a story it's a, it, it's part of a story of collecting no absolutely absolutely no you're absolutely right um and i think that's probably if you ask anyone who has a collection they could probably name several things which have like a story to it which i think is one of the main main things why we do it um because obviously there's the aspect of say when you collect it's the sort of rush you're getting something new and uh something interesting but if there's a story that goes with it it makes it 10 times better um if it be from the smallest thing like a lighter to a jacket or a helmet or anything else really or even a vehicle really for those who have the uh, deeper pockets <laughs> um yeah. so but it, it really really it really really makes the hobby um well well worth it really so um uh going to a little bit uh for us john about um some of the living history sort of side of things so i think as you told me in the past obviously you started doing like great war um and uh how how did you get started in that i had a friend uh from the military who who was a big historian still is a historian he's, he's actually been involved in a few books and he was into the living history side of it and um after i had left the military i was pretty much looking for something to do uh, as a hobby because like i mean the military takes over a huge a massive amount of your time and then literally you're out into the big bad world and it's like okay what the hell do i do rather than walking around the town with my hands in my pockets i decided i'll take up reenacting and and uh got involved with my friend this friend of mine and just started going to shows and he was involved he was actually initially he was involved in the american civil war and uh had an interest in the american civil war because of obviously irish history you actually had two irish groups fight on both sides of the civil war and there was a very very famous part in, in gettysburg where those both regiments or those both battle groups faced off with each other and at the time they were speaking irish and they were speaking irish across the battlefield to each other and i just found that interesting and then we, we we later on went into it and we looked through family history and then i decided i'd look up my great-grandfather's military records and found out that he had served in india in 1902 he was a professional soldier and then had fought the whole way through the first world war uh, with the monster fusiliers and was an old contemptible initially it was an old contemptible got injured came back to england started training guys and went back to um france again so that's what interested me in the the, the first world war where i was I, I i did trips actually to france as well and belgium and stuff like that and tried to follow from what I knew about his records or, or from family stories of areas that he was. And that's pretty much my interest into the First World War. And unfortunately, I, I let it lapse. But thankfully, you know, I, I found the bug again and I'm trying to get back into it. Oh, that's wicked. That's really, really awesome to hear as well. Um, and obviously, as I explained uh, earlier on, that you're getting uh, into World War II as well. So I've been helping you with that. I think you've got mostly everything. Um, well, these or basics anyway um i think you just uh you just need to get battle dress i think is the main thing which uh is a is a pain really especially yes. with the way of like um the best vendors out there for reproductions are, are quite pricey so you're looking at sort of the 300 um plus mark really for decent um, reproductions there are originals out there but at the same time originals can be pricey depending on it um also sizes wise and also you don't sometimes you don't really want to be wearing down to an original um 
but it's it's sort of like a take so you play with your cards really um sort of roll roll of the dice really uh but um, yeah i mean the thing about two originals is i personally myself wouldn't feel comfortable with bringing originals to a show in case you going over bad wire or something and blew up the crotch or something like that. i i just you wouldn't cry as much as if it was a reproduction compared to an original no no absolutely absolutely i think in my case so with what i with sort of the kit i've got really the battle dresses generally i wear our originals um, the trousers, though, where generally most of the wear goes, um, are reproduction, and I, I'm not too fussed about them. Uh, the battle dresses actually have held up really, really well, um, which is good. But I am planning to get some. I've got some reproduction battle dresses in the way of like the earlier war stuff. So for the for World War Two, and for World War One, basically almost everything's um, reproduction because um, I don't have a trust fund or an, an, a second mortgage. So, right. <laughs> so for original stuff. Like I, I, the, the last first world war tunic i seen come up original tunic was like i think it was a thousand and a half pounds so yeah you don't have that type of money to be wearing a, a reenactment show like no absolutely i think they stand like mannequins or museum pieces or just in the collection really which um which i think is fair enough because if you if you've got the money to be wearing originals around and i think if you're doing like a static show thing and you're sort of just uh, displaying to the public or you're just um, talking to the public. I think it's, it's, that's fine. Um, I think if you're doing anything physical though, then with anything of great war vintage, um, I'd say, yeah, definitely leave it to the side and reproductions are the way to go. It's just a case of getting decent reproductions. Um, for great war stuff, I will say, Soldier of Fortune are very, very good. Um, their tunics are very, very good and the trousers, etc. For World War II, not so much. The equipment really really lax um and for say the 37 pattern weapon they do as well is a bit lax but i would say for great war the 08 pattern weapon is very very good and so is the um uh, uh sd tunics and trousers and that um other things here and there might be a bit of thing but i think it's very very good for going forward um in regards to op banner kit wise because you obviously you've been collecting for quite a long time um, and obviously you pick bits up um, over the years, etc. What was sort of like the uh, sort of first bit of say Northern Ireland kit you uh, you got hold of? Believe it or not, a rubber bullet uh, was the first piece of Northern Ireland trivia or uh, collection that I got. Was a rubber bullet, and I actually got it from a. At the, I I when I was in the military, I, I did time on the border, and um, it was it was in a canteen. And uh, where it came up, or a mess, as he called them, we call them canteens, a mess. And how it ended up inside the mess, I have no idea. But they were cleaning out the, the mess, and uh, I was asked that I wanted it. So I said, yeah, I'll take it. So it was the, a, a rubber bullet was my first um, piece that I got from the my collection. Oh, that's brilliant. That's really, really cool. Um, oh, that's, that's, that's quite cool, actually. And again, as you're saying, like, how it ended up there is quite, <laughs> it's quite it's a mystery. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um so going forward uh obviously you've been as i said like you've been collecting over the years etc and you begin beginning to like create like full like kits and etc and um full loadouts if say the word really um for say son of british army soldiers and uh for the iuc what's sort of been sort of the more difficult things to find is that like the iuc stuff or 
Um, certain items of the RUC are very, very hard to find. Their, bo their body armor is extremely hard to find. Um, their uniforms in general are easy. They're, they're not as easy as they were to find, but they're, they're, you do see, still see them come up every now and again on infamous websites such as ones that start with an E and finish with a B. Um, but you do see them come up on those websites. Uh, their body armor is very, very hard to get. They're, they're, in relation to the military, the things that are hard to get are the likes of the riot shields, um, especially the steel riot shields that they had in the late 60s, early 70s, that they would have used in Cyprus as well. The plastic ones or the plexiglass ones are easier to find, but they're, still, they're starting to get rare now as well. But they would be the two. And then if you come across a para riot helmet, I only have a reproduction one that a, a friend of mine made for me, thankfully. Um, he, he, he makes movie props and things like that. Um, but the para riot helmets or public order helmets are like hen's teeth to find. You will not find them because they were all made in Northern Ireland and they were taken apart when, the, when, their, when, when their tours of duty were up. So in relation to, yeah, in, in relation to hard items to get, the RUC would be the body armor for the RUC. And then for the army side of it would be the riot shields definitely the steel ones and the para riot helmets right folks we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back in the action before you know it here at the young contemptibles podcast we are very honored and proud to be sponsored by quartermaster stores a uk business specializing in bespoke leatherwork footwear and historical clothing for living historians whether you are an old hand or a complete beginner in the world of living history there really is something for everyone. And what's even better is that listeners of this podcast are entitled to a 5% discount. Simply use the code QMCAST5, that's QMCAST5 at checkout when shopping on quartermaster-stores.com. No, I definitely agree with you in the regards to the right shields because it's, it's, as you said, they are hen's teeth. It's, it's so difficult to find. One did come up for sale recently um and it was basically like pm them for for prices and etc so i dare to think what the price was it sold for if they did sell it that is so the last I, one that i know that sold sold for i think it was about 500 sterling yeah it, it, it's crazy considering that they, they were like hundreds of these things now there's there's few very few um which is a shame i know one or two people who've got one um and i would love to have one in the collection but uh, i think maybe in the future if uh if one comes up for a cheap price very very lucky or um i might look into maybe making my own maybe possibly well that, that 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 friend of mine that i was talking about he um he reconditions uh cromwell helmets and mark four riot helmets and he is he he has an original one and he possibly will probably make me a copy eventually down the road um, but he marks all his stuff that you can tell that it's a reproduction. So, and, and I have no problem in guys having reproduction stuff in their collections once they're not trying to sell it off to the public or tell the public that it's an original when it's not an original. No, exactly. I think if he's able to make reproduction of it, that'd be awesome. And I, I wouldn't mind either. If Even if it said it was a reproduction on it at all, really, I think that would be a really good thing to have, um, especially for the collection, because then it, then it adds to the as the aesthetic of it when you're trying to um, create like a, a, a loadout, say, 
Um, but yeah, I think it yeah. really, really do, really the, do it the, justice. The dreaded, the dreaded word in, in, in uh, reenacting circles and loadout. John, do you want to talk about a little bit about your um, military service? So obviously you served with the Irish Defence Force for 12 years. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I, I joined the military in 1998. November, the, the interesting date, the 11th of November 1998 was my test date when, when I joined the Army. Um, fame, I suppose everyone knows about the 11th of November, but there we go. It, it, I, it has two meanings for me. But um, yeah, so I, so I joined the Army in 1998, uh, finished recruit training. My initial recruit platoon, I got injured. I partially tore my Achilles tendon. So I was what they call back squatted. And it was only about two months later, I got sent back to another recruit platoon, finished my training, finished my follow-on training, or what you call follow-on training, which we call two to three-star training. Finished that, uh, was posted to a support company, completed a rake of weapons courses, different pieces, different other courses and stuff like that. Uh, served overseas in Lebanon. Um, then I served in the border. I served in, in Port Leash Prison. Um, I served in the training school. Uh, lots of different postings over my time when I was in the military. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and obviously, as you said, you served in Lebanon. Um, you able to talk a little bit about that at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you like to know about Lebanon? Anything at all? Anything you like? Remember any stories or what was the... Uh, well, my, my trip to Lebanon was entertaining to say the least because it was when the Israelis actually withdrew from South Lebanon to well, yeah, Lebanon Lebanon is weird and it, it's history in itself and you, you have to go more in depth in it but pretty much the Israelis controlled this area called the ICA the Israeli or yeah the ICA the Israeli controlled area and they had a, a, a militia called the DFF the de facto fighting forces which was a Christian militia that fought for Israel and it was basically a buffer zone in, in North Israel, Southern Lebanon, and it was designed to stop the, the likes of Hezbollah and Hamal and stuff like stuff, these type of guys firing Katushka rockets over the border into Northern Israel. And then you had the Irish, the Swedes, the Polish, the Ukrainians, the rest of us stuck in the middle like referees trying to keep the two sides apart. Um, so yeah, when I was there, we got fairly hockeyed out of it for about three months. And then the Israelis withdrew, and then we had to move forward as well to stop the vacuum that they were afraid was going to happen when the Israelis withdrew, that there was going to be a vacuum. So we literally moved straight up, right up onto the Israeli border. And for the next three months, then we were building new posts, uh, clearing minefields, clearing roads, and occasionally um, sitting down getting a suntan. Sounds like a very eventful uh, posting as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, what was sort of your main sort of memory from that posting? Do you remember? It was funny because my first day, we, 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 we travelled into Beirut International Airport. And I can remember sitting in, in this plane, and it was an Aer Lingus plane, and you had stewardesses and the whole lot, and they're walking up and down in the aisles. And we land into Beirut Airport, and then we're taxiing into the terminal. And I'm looking out the window, and I see guys sitting on bofers, um, Lebanese army guys waving at me. And I'm like going... What have I just landed into? Like, um, that was probably the funniest thing. Whereas you see this Israeli, or not Israeli, but this Lebanese army guy just sitting on a boat for his going, smoking a cigarette, and waving in the window at you. 
yeah that was the, the funniest incident i think uh, we had other funny incidents all right like um close calls well they weren't funny at the time but when you look back at them they were funny like uh we were in another area um a place called hadata and we had a volleyball court and with the sirens went off that there was firing going on we all ran into the bunkers and defensive positions and everything we had to do and we heard this all merciful thump and uh i think it was an 81 millimeter mortar had landed straight into um our volleyball court and the thing that obsessed us the most was that it wasn't the fact that it landed at the court it was that bust the only volleyball that we had um that was the only thing that really upset us <laughs> <laughs> definitely priorities really isn't it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh that sounds brilliant that sounds absolutely awesome so um obviously from from lebanon obviously you as you said you served on the border as well to northern ireland um and obviously did you have any exchanges with like british forces at all or well the like, border, conversation the border was, was, sorry the border was prior to me going to lebanon because uh, at that time when you finished recruit training I can't remember, was it the platoon after me? Because at that moment in time in the Irish Defence Force or the Irish Army, there was platoon after platoon after platoon being trained. And because we went in in 1998, the Good Friday Agreement had just been signed. It wasn't, the ink was still wet on it anyway. So we went to the border anyway, um, and it was to gain experience. We weren't there that long. We were supposed to be there, I think it was two months. I think we only did like a couple of weeks, three or four weeks. Um, on the border and I was in a place called Dundalk, a town called Dundalk. And if anybody knows anything about Irish history and the, the trouble in the north, Dundalk was one of the spots to be. Um, and at that time it was literally taking down uh, checkpoints. Um, we were still doing patrols and we were still still doing bits and bobs like that, but it was mainly uh, taking down uh, permanent uh, checkpoints, uh, OPs, things like that. Um, and we did have funny exchanges, all right, um, with British and RUC. I can remember we got a call one time to go that there was a Land Rover, a British Army Land Rover seen in a certain area that was on our side of the border. And when we got there, the lads were literally, the, the, it was literally, you'd, you, it, it happened a few times. It, it did happen up there. Was You'd literally just walk up to them and go, guys, our side, you're on the wrong side. They'd literally unload their weapons. We'd escort them to the other side of the border. Uh, it happened with Irish guys going on the other side of the border. Not so much with us because we had permanent guys up there. So they knew the roads. Whereas with the British guys coming over and back, they, they were changing the whole time. I think their tour was four months. Uh, four months long up there, they used to do. Um, and the easiest way we used to do was look for the phone boxes. You see a red phone box, you know you're on the wrong side. You see a green phone box, you're on the right side. And same with the post boxes. <laughs> sounds very very eventful <laughs> so in regards to sort of the border really um was there any sort of hairy situations in regards to dealing with obviously the uh the paramilitaries or anything from your point of view anyway even obviously it was after the good friday agreement but uh uh i won't say hairy moments but there was definitely tension there uh even for us on our side of the border in 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 dundalk we had what were called red flag pubs and we couldn't go through those bars, even being in the Irish Army, you could not go through those bars. Uh, I can remember the cinema was out of bounds of a Thursday because a certain individual's wife used to go to the cinema. So the cinema was out of bounds of a Thursday. Um, yeah, but 
you'd still like you you still come across the tension to us spin up there as well we got as we'd get as much hatred as the other guys on the other side to the to the staunch republicans and the staunch republicans this was another way to describe them um we were free staters we were classified as free staters we had accepted the treaty all the way back to 1916 and maybe later on we can talk about that in some other podcast but the, uh, so we were as much of an enemy to them as uh, as the British guys were and the RUC guys were. Thankfully, uh, there wasn't as much ammunition pointed towards us as there was the um, the British forces. But unfortunately, Irish soldiers and policemen and customs officers did get injured and killed on the border. Yeah, it's it's, it's a horrible sort of situation to be sort of stuck between sort of a rock and a hard place, really. I think for your sort of side of things as well, which is a shame. Obviously, you're just doing a job, and you're seen by one side as sort of uh, accepting um, like a defeat kind of thing. Yeah, it's 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 a horrible place to be in, I bet. But um, but yeah, that, honestly, that's really really awesome, John. Um, and so I think we'll probably wrap up there, um, and we can. Uh, John will be joining me uh, for a full sort of. Um, for the one of the first or one of the parts of our Operation Banner episode, um, we'll also have another guest on to do the other part of that as well, which would be awesome. So hopefully that will be coming out soon, um, and we're recording that soon as well. So if you enjoyed this, uh, please check out um, John's YouTube channel. So I am Militaria on YouTube. Check that out. Some really really good content on there. Um, also, if you want to check out the tick my TikTok channel, so it is Jake Brown forty seven. Also, if you want to listen to more of the podcast, please check out the Uncontentables podcast and also plug in my YouTube channel, the Jake Brown Collection as well. So, and also Living History UK. There's lots of plugs in here today, lots of plugs. So I really, really hope you enjoyed, guys. If you'd like to donate, um, feel free to. Uh, should have a um, PayPal link down below if you wish to donate and help the podcast and help us carry on what we do really. And we can have really, really good conversations like we I've had with John here. So hope you've enjoyed and thanks for listening.